we all recognise how critically important the drive for net zero is today. To prevent catastrophic climate change, the world needs to decarbonise, and this means change across the world for everyone. We also know we need to use renewables to produce energy in the future, but in addition to this, we have to consume energy more effectively and use our resources more efficiently. In the past, technology meant improved living standards and greater consumption of energy. But looking ahead, in the future, it needs to mean more improved living standards, reduced consumption of energy, and intelligent use of resources. Technology is key to this. In this episode, we are delighted to welcome world-leading academic Professor Bruce from Oxford University, Chief Scientist at the Faraday Battery Research Institute and Vice President of the Royal Society. He'll be sharing his thoughts on this topic and how he sees the need for international collaboration between businesses, scientists and policymakers who are needing to come together to tackle climate change. We're also joined by Ashley Lumsden, who is Director of Public Affairs at Huawei. He will be talking to us about how technology and businesses can help meet the net zero challenge and discuss R&D, innovation and some of the most exciting technologies that are helping industry get to net zero. Hello, Professor Bruce, and thank you for your time. Before we jump into this topic of net zero and technology, perhaps you can give our listeners a little overview about the interesting work you do in one of your many roles. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess I've got three uh, areas of activity. I wear three hats right now. I'm a professor of materials at the University of Oxford, and in that role, I've been working for quite a number of years on the science and technology of energy conversion and storage. I also am founder and chief scientist of the Faraday Institution in the UK, which is the body that really uh, represents and drives forward uh, research on energy conversion and storage. And I'm also physical secretary and one of the vice presidents at the Royal Society. Wow, so many huge responsibilities there. So tell us how important is digital energy and batteries to achieve net zero in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think batteries and digital have two important, really two important roles. So we take batteries first of all. Batteries and advances in battery technology are crucial to the uh, replacement of internal combustion vehicles, conventional internal combustion vehicles with electric vehicles. I mean, we're already seeing considerable growth in electric vehicles on UK roads, but there's still a long way to go to reach the target by 2035 of all uh, EVs, and that will require further advances in in battery technology because it's the battery that's perhaps the biggest uh, biggest barrier, the biggest challenge in uh, moving electric vehicle technology forward. And batteries also have a critical role to play in the decarbonisation of the electricity supply. They won't store the very large amounts, the sort of tens or multiple tens of terawatt hours of energy that we are going to need to store with a decarbonised grid even if we have nuclear in the mix, but they are crucial to the stability of the electricity supply in a decarbonized grid. Because when you have a lot of solar and wind, uh, you have the challenge of maintaining the stability of the frequency and the voltage of the supply that we need to run all our electronic gadgets. Uh, And that's where batteries can play a role to keep that supply stable. So so they have a key, key role in a decarbonized grid. And they will also have a role in aviation electric uh, planes, but especially drones, and we'll see a big expansion in drones 
over the next few years, and they play a key role there. Where I think digital is really important is it's a huge role for digital in, if you like, in energy efficiency, you know, smart grids, where you have a lot of more digital control over the grid system itself. Smart devices that, that, that are much more efficient at using, using energy. So it's, it's, it's employing and exploiting digital technology in the cause of decarbonization. And that's one of the key tools we have in the toolbox. So let me dig into something you just said that piqued my interest there. You mentioned in the UK, we would need to use tens up to 40 terawatts of batteries in the future. Can you explain a little bit more about what does that look like in reality um, to some of our listeners and, and how do we get to that number? We're not going to achieve those multiple tens of terawatt hours of storage with batteries. Uh, you know, you would require the world's uh, production of lithium batteries to do this. Uh, for that really large scale storage, it won't be batteries. Uh, what we'll have to do is convert our electricity into a chemical like hydrogen or ammonia, store that, and then convert that back to electricity again. So when you move to a decarbonized electricity system, you need storage on different levels. The really big storage, that those sort of things I talked about, the you know, tens of terawatt hours. And that for that we need we need hydrogen or ammonia, but then we have a more intermediate or smaller scale storage, which is just as essential to make that grid work. And that's the where batteries will play their critical role. Great, thank you for that. And you also touched on some of the areas that there were huge opportunities. You mentioned electric vehicles, you've mentioned aviation sector and even drones. So where do you see the opportunities that will help businesses, governments, tech companies to help achieve this ambition if we are to provide a better and a cleaner future? Yeah, I would say one of the big things that goes right across the whole area of decarbonization is that you know science, technology and innovation, they won't deliver net zero on their own, but we will not deliver net zero without advances in science, technology and innovation. There is a, a myth that we have all the technologies we need even to reach the carbon emitting targets we have for 2030. It is just not true. We will not realize the tech, we do not have the technologies yet available to us to do that. It's not just a deployment challenge. We need scaling up and development of technologies that are out of the lab, but not yet demonstrated at scale and get those into the commercialized and into the marketplace. And then there are other challenges where we still need research. So again, if I take the area of batteries, which is something I've worked in for a number of years, we, won't, we, we do not yet have the battery technology to deliver the electric vehicles that we're going to need towards the end of this decade. Uh, to meet the sort of high penetration of electric vehicles that are necessary to get those carbon emissions down. We will need not only innovation, but research to meet that, that goal. You know, we need research on the components that go into batteries to make batteries that will allow you to drive further, will last longer between recharging, will recharge faster. So there's a challenge across the whole spectrum of research, development and innovation and commercialization and deployment. Uh, and I think that's one of the key messages that we're trying to, to get over, that, that, uh, that realization that it, 
it isn't, we, we, you know, we don't have all the technologies we need, even for 2030 to 2035. Uh, and we need efforts in all of those areas, research, development and deployment. Uh, and we need to make sure we're putting the right investment into the right, right place at the right time, which is why we've advocated for a, a net zero advisory group. Now, we don't have a view about where that sits, you know, in the system. But I think we do believe there's a real need for more technical advice from the people who actually are at the coal face of the various technologies, whether they're batteries, whether they're fuel cells, whether they're digital. Um, and that's across industry and academia, working together to give the best technical advice on where the barriers are to realizing the breakthroughs that we need uh, to decarbonize. Absolutely. You've, and you've talked a lot about you know, kind of the innovation and research that's needed to, for us to scale up and reach these goals. Could you look, tell us a little bit more about this net zero advisory group? What does that look like and what impact do you think that's going to have? Yeah, what we, what we envisage is uh, bringing together our best scientists and engineers from industry, but also from academia, uh, and working together crucially with the economists, with the investment community, and also with behavioral scientists, because you know, human behavior is a key part of this. If you want to people to adopt new technologies, you have to understand you know, how those play out in terms of the mind of the consumer. So we, you know, we're advocating bringing those sort of experts together. We've got some great experts in the UK who really are working at these, on these uh, problems and these challenges and get their advice fed into the, uh, the policy decisions that need to be made um, by government, but also the decisions that have been made, need to be made by investors and by industry uh, as well as to what are, the, you know, what are the best ways of decarbonizing that will give us the fastest carbon reduction for, the, for every pound spent? You know, what's the best value for money roadmap to net zero? And this sort of body would help to inform uh, a roadmap. And that roadmap would help to signal to, uh, to investors and to the private sector, you know, which um, is the direction of travel. So for example, for decarbonization of heating, should we be using principally heat pumps or should we be using principally hydrogen? Of course, we'll use both, but where's the balance? Uh, and understanding that in fact, and understanding where the the barriers are to deploying or to, sorry, to realizing and then deploying those is critical and deciding on which of those options may be the major one and signaling that would be hugely valuable to the, uh, to the investment community and to, uh, and to um, businesses more generally. So the best way to deal with the climate change is by bringing together the multilateral action and international agreements. So is there any kind of particular market or group in your view that is doing particularly well that we can take learnings from? Well, I think, I think you know, the, it, the UK, I think, is, is, is in a leading position um, in, in this area. I mean, it's not the only one, but I think we have led on the recognition of uh, climate change being a real, a real and present danger uh, of the need to act. We've been, I think, very at the foot, much of the forefront of setting uh, targets for carbon emissions through 2035 and on to 2050, where we hope to reach reach net zero. Um, but you know, this this is a global challenge. Uh, no one country can solve this problem on its own. CO2 emissions don't recognise national boundaries. 
And uh, I think what we have to do is, as a country, lead in this area, but work with others in that leadership role to identify where we have common cause, where we have common challenges that we can share uh, knowledge and understanding, uh, spread the cost of investing in research, development and innovation, and crucially accelerate the pace of innovation. You know, we're going to have to innovate faster than the business as usual model in peacetime. Uh, we need sort of rates of in innovation that are rather more like wartime rates of innovation than, than perhaps we're used to in, in peacetime. Uh, if we're going to get those technologies moved through the scale up and, and, and demonstration phase and into the marketplace. Yeah. What does that ideal time frame look like to you? Well, it's different for different challenges. There are some things we'll need uh, sooner and others later. So, for example, in heat pumps, I think that is to some extent a deployment challenge. Uh, uh, charging infrastructure is a, is a barrier to uh, people purchasing electric vehicles. That's a deployment challenge. There isn't a, a major development or innovation challenge there. But, you know, we're going to need uh, battery technology that is significantly better than what we have currently. Uh, probably within a, a, a seven to ten year time frame. Uh, so we need to accelerate the pace there of research, development and innovation and in battery technology. Um, I think we need to accelerate the pace of, of um, work on uh, electrolysis of water to produce hydrogen and also fuel cells to use hydrogen to make electricity um, because batteries won't, uh, won't be appropriate for all transportation applications. So these are some of the areas that I think are important challenges, you know, over the next seven to 10 years um, that we need to see increased effort and increased pace of change. Yeah. So in that kind of seven to 10 year period where we're accelerating the pace, let's just imagine what is your what is your dream scenario? What is my dream scenario? Well, um, if we're going to move at pace, I think that's where defining a, a roadmap uh, as to where we're trying to get to and how we're going to get there is so important because if you have we, we have targets for carbon emissions fantastic that's really good we have bodies like the climate change committee in the uk do a great job at uh, defining the carbon budgets you know what the degree of carbon emissions have to get to to you know to get to um, a certain global warming temperature that's great but I think we need to then translate that into a technology roadmap on how to get there. And that needs to be based on the best understanding and evidence of evidence based understanding of where the technological challenges are. So I guess if I if I were to sort of advocate for one thing, if you want to put it that way, that I would like to see happen more than anything, it would be that um, scoping out of a roadmap, um, which gives us the best value for money decarbonization route. And for that to be informed by the, a group of experts uh, of the type that I mentioned across academia and industry, across engineering and science that really understand what the challenges are technologically in realizing fuel cells, electrolysis, batteries, heat pumps, the various technology advances that we need, and including crucially digital, which as I said at the beginning, the digital area has, has a great deal to offer in, in helping us to advance towards the decarbonization challenges that we, uh, we're trying to realize. Well, let's hope that your dream becomes reality and here's to that expert-led roadmap.
Our second guest, Ashley Lumsden, who is Director of Public Affairs at Huawei. Ashley's going to provide us with an overview of what businesses can do to help meet net zero and discuss R&D, innovation, and some of the most exciting technologies which Huawei's working on with partners to get to net zero. So Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great. Ashley, so we were just speaking to Professor Bruce and he was talking about all the great things that R&D can do as part of getting technologies in place so that we can meet net zero targets. For you, what role do you think technology companies have in playing kind of that, that role to help meet these grand ambitions? Well, I think the important thing is that technology has to see itself as an enabler because we are not providing the services, creating the value, but we are often involved in getting it from uh, one end of the supply chain to the consumer. And we have to think about what we can uh, develop that gives the providers, uh, the companies who are making and selling things, gives them the opportunity to reduce their carbon impact, reduce their environmental impact. That might be in the way they manufacture or the way they transport. Uh, It might be in the components they use. Uh, but overall, we have to look at our, uh, our our consumers and look at the products and services that they're getting and think, how can we, as technology companies, find ways at every stage in the supply chain to reduce environmental impact? And that means really understanding what's going on in that supply chain and what consumers are really looking for. That's really interesting. And you kind of mentioned there, you know, consumers in different areas. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you're hearing from them and if there's anything specific that... Huawei's working on in this kind of space? Well, the consumer is clearly placing a lot more value on understanding the environmental impact of the goods and services they consume. Uh, But they are not trying to make a proper assessment themselves. They expect uh, industry and government to do that for them. So it's really important that industry works together um, to find new and interesting ways that not only reduce environmental impact, but can demonstrate that to consumers. So, for example, one of the things that we've been working on um, is smart farming. Uh, So right at the start of the production cycle, growing things uh, for consumers, and you think, well, what can we do there? And smart farming has been about using technology to help people doing the farming reduce their impact. So it could be about looking at the detailed level about what fertilizer, not just a field, but the plants in that field actually need. So you don't need to buy as much fertilizer, you don't over-fertilize, and you you can distribute it at the right time in that field for the right plants in that field. So you reduce the use of fertilizer, that means you need to buy less, you need to transport less. But it has another impact in that it means that the runoff of water from that field uh, uh, doesn't have an excess of fertilizer in it because actually cleaning up water um, for use for drinking water for example actually that's quite an energy intensive process so if you can reduce the amount of fertilizer down right down to the minimum that's needed um, then you could have an energy saving on water cleaning up at a later stage so you want to be able to say to your consumer your fruit your produce that you're buying um, this is the most environmentally sensitive throughout its growing cycle, not just in the inputs into the land, but also into the runoff as well. So that's an example of where understanding the needs of every plant is helping the producer, but it's the technology companies that are there making sure that they've got the sensors that tell the farmer about each plant, and also the equipment that's connected to those sensors 
so that they can understand when's the right time to water, when's the right time to put in fertilizer into a field. So technology can come in very different ways, um, but at the end of the day, it has to be able to show its value to consumers. That's absolutely fascinating, Ashley. And you mentioned kind of these new and interesting ways that companies and industries can become more carbon neutral right across the supply chain. At which point do you think um, um, we're facing some of the biggest challenges in adopting some of these changes? Well, I've talked a bit about uh, the production phase, but we've got to think about how you then get those products to consumers. Um, And transport's a big part of that. Uh, So when we look at what we can do to reduce energy and transport costs, because those feed directly into the amount of carbon uh, that's in the environment. Um, One example that we've been looking at is smart ports. So as container ports uh, get ever bigger, how can we make sure that the energy used to move the containers around is as low as possible? And that means making sure real efficiency and understanding which container will be on which ship at which point, understanding when they'll be arriving at the port, how long they'll be at the port, uh, so that the, the port can, can manage and stack things in the right way. But it's also about making sure that the people driving around uh, that port are also using the most efficient vehicles, uh, probably electric and low-impact low vehicles, but also that their routes around the site, because some of these ports are now very large, um, these, their routes are optimised, so they're using as little energy as possible. And actually, that story about a particular port is true through the entire transport journey, about efficiency, about low, low energy use, low impact of energy, uh, particularly when it comes to electric vehicles. Um, and so technology may be able to help at some points, but we need in the future to broaden that out so it looks at the entire transport journey. So again, we're, just, we're reducing energy use and therefore helping reduce the environmental impact. That's amazing. You mentioned everything there from kind of smart farming examples to smart ports. Which one of these examples or any other ones are you most excited about? And where do you think technology has a role to play in reaping the big significant benefits? Well, I think that um, once you've got the idea of the, you know, reducing impact of, uh, the, of the producing and the production phase uh, at a farm or at a factory, then you've done the transport. But actually, at the retail end, there's a lot more we can do there too. And I think this will be the really exciting part because it's where the consumers will really interact. And, 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 uh, and while we've got a partnership with, the, uh, with Imperial College in London to look at how technology and 5G in particular can really improve the experience of the consumer in a retail environment uh, in terms of making sure that stock is available and that people can can see and experience uh, the products they're after uh, remotely and in shops, uh, but also to reduce the uh, the carbon impact of that uh, and make sure it's done as efficiently as possible, making sure that stock is where it needs to be, but not overstocked. And that has a benefit for retail, but also for the environment. But this is at an early stage. And what we're trying to do with Imperial College's business school is to identify new and interesting things that can bring to life the story of that uh, supply chain journey for consumers who are looking for environmentally sound products um, in ways that perhaps we haven't yet thought of. Uh, And it's these sorts of partnerships uh, across industry with academia um, that I think will really help us uh, reduce environmental impact, but also make our lives as consumers much more interesting. Absolutely. I can't wait for that to become a reality. 
and you kind of touched on, you know, these are still the early days and things are still very new and exciting. How far away are we actually from realising some of these benefits? I think actually uh, the technology sector is really helping um, to uh, reduce environmental impact. Uh, I think we all accept the need for this uh, dual carbon goal that people sometimes talk about, about making sure that our carbon use uh, peaks uh, by perhaps 2030 and that we reach net zero uh, as soon as after that as we can. Um, we think uh, that the making sure that uh, we have digital power, um, making the best use of energy, could be uh, generating you know, billions, hundreds of billions of kilowatt hours of green energy. The more we can move in that direction, uh, then I think the more that we'll be making progress towards these uh, net zero carbon reduction targets. So I think there's a real role for the tech sector here to help us get down to these levels, but it's going to be about reducing energy. And actually, many people have always wanted to have lower energy bills, whether you're a consumer or you're a factory or a provider or a transport or whatever. But the use of, of low, low energy technology, I think, is going to be really more important in the future as we find ways to produce cleaner energy and then use less of it. That combination is going to be vital in getting us to a net zero position. I couldn't agree more with you. And um, I do believe that low energy tech is absolutely crucial for us. Um, so thank you so much for your insights. What is next? Let's just wrap up on your kind of dream for the next five years. For the next five years, I hope that we can move both to a much more uh, low energy system, but also that I think consumers need to be put in the driving seat. They need to understand uh, the choices that they're making when they buy goods and services. Uh, and I think the more that we can empower consumers, the better the chances that they will make the right choices and push industry uh, to give them solutions which meet their ambitions uh, for a cleaner planet. Brilliant. Thank you very much. That's Ashley Lumsden, who's Director of Public Affairs at Huawei. Thank you. Ashley Lumsden sharing some great visions of digital transformation within industries that are using end-to-end technologies to help meet net zero targets of tomorrow. And also, big thanks to Professor Bruce for sharing the scale of the net zero challenge in the UK and a call for global action for businesses, policymakers and academia to come together to be part of the solution to this global challenge. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. See you next time.